Welcome to another edition of Legends of Film. I'm William Chamberlain. Today we have an interview with screenwriter Simon Barrett. Mr. Barrett has written A Horrible Way to Die, You're Next, Blair Witch, and The Guest. The Guest will be shown Saturday, October 21st, 2017 at 2 p.m. at the main library on 615 Church Street in the auditorium. More later, on to the interview. Dan Stevens, who played David in The Guest, described the movie as Captain America gone very, very wrong. How would you describe The Guest? I mean, honestly, that's a perfect description. I, I can't think of a better way to phrase it, and uh, and I remember having conversations with Dan about that on set. You know, I mean, for me, uh, The Guest was an attempt to do kind of one of these Iraq War family dramas that were somewhat ubiquitous in the late aughts, or I, there were at least a few of them, but to do a version that wasn't totally depressing and that people might actually want to see. Um, and, you know, the, the take on that, that Adam wanted to do a... Uh, a like kind of Terminator slasher film, like like a fusion of Halloween and the Terminator. And I had this old script that was like this depressing um, Iraq war kind of like revenge drama. And I was like, you know, it doesn't feel like these two things should go together. And yet, and that was kind of it. It was, it was just this like kind of fusion of all these different ideas and obviously a lot of different genres. I've seen someone made an argument that the guest contains every genre except documentary and no one really ever sings in it but yeah but there's, there's a lot, I guess a lot of music so musical is the one that I was like I don't know anyway I don't know I, it's a, I, I have a hard time synopsizing all of my films it's always like this weird hurdle when like at an early stage you know my agents or my manager will be kind of like you know hey can you send us just like a description of what this script is about and I'm like uh, you know, that's going to take me like 73 pages, I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, which is not the way you're supposed to do things. You're supposed to do things in a high-concept manner that uh, is easily understandable, but the guest uh, definitely didn't fit into that category. You stated on the audio commentary of the ABC of Death that you and Adam Wingard, when you make a movie, you always make the statement, this is a disaster, and while you were making the guest, did you ever make that statement, and how do you stop that from being uh, debilitating. Yeah, I mean, we made that we we made that statement almost every day. I would say on the on the guest, you know, like there's always just a moment where it feels like things are completely falling apart. Specifically in the guest, you know, there's a scene where this is a spoiler for the listeners, so I won't I won't be too specific. But uh, Dan Stevens crashes his car intentionally into another car. The first time we filmed that, the cars missed each other. We were cabling empty cars towards each other, and they missed but scraped along each other's sides. So both cars were totaled, essentially. Um, however, they didn't crash on camera. We then tried it again, uh, just testing it. Since that didn't work, we got the cars repaired. Adam was off shooting something. I went to go watch the test to get back to him. I went with our producer, Keith Calder, and one of the cars in the test spun out of control and also missed the other car, but its axles were broken and it required serious repair. So then we actually brought in uh, a car crash team from Los Angeles who ultimately were able to get our two cars to crash into each other. 
but yeah, that's like a perfect example of just you're on set and your head is in your hands and you're just like, this is the the, the worst thing that's ever happened to anyone. <laughs> there's no way, there's no way we're going to be able to make this movie, you know, the way that we envisioned and our careers are ruined and possibly our lives and so on. You know, and I can cite actually many more, but that was the first one that came to mind. However, it is just one of those things where you, um, you know, you roll with the punches. I mean, starting making movies uh, with very low budgets, which both Adam uh, and I come from very low budget backgrounds. And the first, um, the first two films that we collaborated on with each other were budgeted, uh, both budgeted at well under a hundred thousand dollars. And you know, when you're making movies for you know, say, like, you know, just a few thousand dollars, a feature film, you don't have the luxury of anything going right. I mean, you're you're basically counting on favors from friends, and, you know, you're basically, you know, going to represent at any given time about 40% of your crew, um, so you better know how to do every single thing. And, and yeah, and things go wrong, and then you're like, okay, that went wrong. Um, how do we fix it? You know, what do we shoot instead? Like, what... We weren't able to get this piece of equipment that we hoped for, so we need to come up with something else. And I think that's a huge part of just filmmaking. Um, you know, I, ha- I I remember talking to, um, I had the extreme kind of pleasure of being able to meet one of my filmmaking heroes, Peter Jackson, at one point. And one of the things I asked him was like, kind of like, because at that point I was still making very low-budget films, and you know, he's been actually kind of, you know, I, I think he tends to be kind of a fan of low-budget horror and, and is was surprisingly kind of tapped into our work. And um, and I remember kind of being like, you know, does this ever get better? You know, when you have like $250 million, or does it always feel like you just don't have enough? Uh, and he confirmed that it's very much like the latter, that like no matter how much money you have, all the resources of New Zealand, um, you're still going to be like, okay, that, that was a disaster. Let's figure it out. So, I mean, you know, we can be pretty exhausted and demoralized during production, but I think if you're having too much fun during production, you're not making movies right. And the reason of that is, you know, the reason for that is, is that in my opinion, you know, production is when, you know, prior to that, everything's just abstract. It's on the page. It's a blueprint for a film. Production is where you actually start getting the ingredients of the film and you want them to be perfect. You want them to be as good as they could possibly be because the film, you want the film to be as good as it can possibly be, and nothing, very rarely, is, is something as good as it can possibly be, uh, especially when you're making movies for a low budget. So you're always kind of stressed out, and you always don't have enough time and enough resources, and, and special effects go wrong, um, like in the scenario I detailed, and so on. But it's also, that is literally the process, is you just kind of have to keep pushing um, to try to get everything as close your vision or as close to what you feel like the film should be as possible and hopefully if you do that at the end you know the disasters will be invisible to everyone else i mean no one no one watching the guest would ever think like that we basically tried to film that car crash four times actually i i left one out because it wasn't as exciting as the others um but it was also a failure you know no one watching the movie is like oh i bet they had to film that very minor car accident um, compared to, you know, like a Born Identity or Fast and the Furious film. You know, it just looks like a very minor car accident that achieves what we wanted it to achieve. And it's entertaining and it's on screen for a couple of seconds and you keep watching the film and you enjoy it. And, um, and you know, the disasters don't turn up on screen uh, as long as you're able to come up with solutions. And again, in, that, in, the, in the scenario that I described, 
somewhat able to throw money at the problem. We had a contingency in the budget. We were able to shoot that until we got it right. On other films we've done, like VHS 2, for example, where you know special effects didn't work out, technicians actually didn't even show up, then you're then you have to come up with like a totally new idea on the fly, just like well maybe that doesn't happen and maybe something else happens instead, and let's figure out what that is because we only have four days to shoot this movie and we can't add days at the end. There's no contingency. So so again, obviously the former is better than the latter. Having experience with the latter system where you don't have any leeway, you don't have any extra dollars or extra days hidden in the budget, you don't have any way to solve a problem, you know, working on extremely low-budget stuff like the VHS films or ABCs or our early features, um, allows you, when you're doing a slightly bigger budget film like The Guest, to strategize and be like, okay, you know, like this, that didn't work, how can we fix it? And, you know, if the solution, by the way, had been we can't film a car accident. That was our one shot. You know, Adam and I would have been like, this is a disaster, and then we would have got to work. So it's not like we say this is a disaster and we go back to our hotel rooms and start drinking. We say this is a disaster, and then we come up with solutions. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it, that's just kind of our starting point is, uh, is complete, you know, kind of nihilism, and then, uh, and then from there we get productive. Director Adam Wingard and you have collaborated on nine movies, and what makes a good collaboration between a writer and director? Um, I mean, it depends. I mean, in, in various, on most of those collaborations with Adam, I'm also, I've also been producing and, and fairly heavily involved in that role, meaning, you know, we kind of can kind of work as a two-person filmmaking team. And that's not to take credit for any of Adam's work, because Adam, you know, completely, uh, you know, directs, edits, you know, I don't, I don't, give him any creative notes when we're working because I don't have anything really to add usually unless I, you know, I mean, there's sometimes I'll maybe see something minor, but usually we're on the same page. And that's really it. I mean, Adam and I kind of met, you know, just because we were film fans. We were both shooting movies in Alabama in 2003 around the same time, so we just kind of met through that. But we kind of stayed friends because we just liked each other's work. And there's a mutual respect that comes with that where, you know, we give each other a lot of space. Um, you know, I'm not in the editing room until Adam has a cut that he wants to show me. You know, I'm not there day one looking over his shoulder. I, I stay back. And that way, when Adam feels like he's got a rough cut that he's pretty happy with, I can kind of approach it totally objectively or at least a little more objectively than, than him because he's been working on it nonstop for, you know, four weeks or whatever. And I can kind of approach it more as a viewer. And similarly, Adam doesn't, you know, I don't send Adam like pages when I'm writing uh, a script that I'm hope, you know, that I'm hoping he'll direct or we're planning to do together. So he doesn't necessarily know what the characters are, even what the story is of some of the films that we've done. I think the guest was like a, a real surprise for him. But then he reads it, you know, so he can be objective about it, which I can't obviously, and he can read it as a viewer and be kind of like yeah, I like this, like, we should make this, but, you know, we don't need this scene, you know, or we need a scene here because this doesn't quite make sense. So we give each other a lot of space, really, is, is, is the answer. There's mutual respect and mutual trust in each other's work, and, you know, and because of that, uh, yeah, because of that, we just kind of um, are always able to make the right decisions and, and not step on each other's toes. 
On the screenwriter's diary, you're behind the scene making of Red Sands. The casting, oh, wow. yeah, the casting director made this statement. I've cleaned it up. Um, this is about the writer's experience. Watching someone else shoot your movie is like watching someone else make love to your wife, to which you replied, it's not that erotic. So my question is, let me ask, what is it like to watch someone else shoot your script? Well, it depends. I mean, you know, it really depends on the process. I mean, I will say that, you know, after making that film, I got much more involved in in producing and, and occasionally directing myself and stuff. Um, because ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, when you're on set, the director's the boss. And they have to be, because the actors and the crew need to trust them implicitly. So you have to defer to that, uh, because otherwise, you know, things can get disorganized and unproductive. And also, uh, you know, oftentimes screenwriters aren't approaching their concerns, aren't approaching production concerns from totally the right place, which is to say, if you haven't directed a film and you haven't worked kind of these crew positions that I have, sometimes you just go on set and you're just like, why isn't this the way I wrote it? Which isn't the right approach because, you know, because things aren't always, you know, things don't always work the way they do on the page. So look, it, it depends. I've had I've had positive experiences and negative experiences. Obviously, working with Adam, um, I really like the way he directs my scripts, and we have, you know, films planned in the future. I, I continue to work with Adam, but that's because we share a sensibility that really allows me to be kind of almost more productive because Adam's directing. You know, because Adam's directing the movie, I can be there on set. I can, you know, I can be there during pre-production and post-production and sound mixing and all that, and I can give input as needed, but if it's not needed, I can just work on our next script or whatever, you know. So so sometimes it can actually be great. Sometimes you're like, this is terrific. I don't have to worry about any of this stuff. Um, Adam's freaking out because, you know, some camera broke, um, and I can just be like, well, you know, like, like if I'm not producing a film, um, you know, like, Blair Witch, for example, you know, I, I was not a full producer on. I was involved in the whole production, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't have to worry about, like, oh, like, we lost a camera. Like, how, how do we get another one? Other people were worrying about that for me, so I got to just be like, oh, this is great. <laughs> like, why why aren't we shooting right now? Oh, okay, I'm just going to go, um, you know, hang out and uh, and uh, get back to work on something else. But, you know, but um, but of course that's the very positive side of things, uh, you know, I work very differently from most screenwriters. I, for example, won't take a job in Hollywood if I don't know who's directing the film, which is the majority of jobs in Hollywood for screenwriters. They, they, they're like, write the script, and then we'll try to attract a director. And I'm not interested in that, because if I write a script and the director, you know, he, like he or she doesn't get along with my vision, then the film's not going to be good, and that's not a good use of my time and energy, like regardless of, you know, getting paid or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky that I'm able to make a living doing what I do. And I've only really been, that's only really been the case for the past few years. So I know very specifically how lucky I am. But, you know, I, I, I do have systems kind of in place to prevent that from being a negative thing. Because, you know, if you do find yourself in a situation where you write a script and you and the director don't get along creatively, you're going to lose that fight. I mean, that's just the nature of Hollywood, and that's the nature of filmmaking. So that's not a fight that I ever want to be involved in. Um, and, I, you know, without naming specifics, there have been times in the past where I didn't fully agree with the choices a director was making. 
um, or felt they weren't, you know, giving like like 100%, you know, to a couple moments where, that I envisioned like differently. And it's a, then that's a very unpleasant experience. But you know, it's better than working, you know, most of the other jobs I've had. So I don't really complain about it too much because um, still at the end of the day you're making a movie and you're getting paid and and. You know, it's really just about picking your battles and knowing how to comport yourself and also how to communicate. You know, I would never go to Adam and be like, Adam, like, you're screwing up, <laughs> you know, because that's just going to stress him out, and he's just going to be like, what, you know, what, I have to deal with all this, and now you're coming at me too? You know, if I have a note, you know, Adam's my friend. I've, we've been friends for, like, 15 years, uh, you know, and I can go up to him and be like, hey, I kind of envisioned this this way. Like, what do you think of that? And he'll, you know, and he can actually be like, no, my way's better, and here's why. <laughs> so, you know, so it really depends. But I, I work hard uh, in my career to build relationships with the directors I'm going to be working with where they see my creative contributions as an asset to them rather than a hindrance or any sort of competition because that's a situation you don't want to be in. Just like, by the way, when you're directing a movie, if you're dealing with studio notes, you know, at the end of the day, it's the studio's money. And so you could take the same kind of uh, power dynamic that we just kind of discussed between writers and directors on set and apply it to directors and studio executives on set. Because, you know, if you're making a, I don't know, $200 million Star Wars movie, you know, <laughs> uh, like at the time of this recording, I fairly famously, uh, Chris, Phil Lord and Chris Miller just uh, left the Han Solo project, and that was a big news story in Hollywood, because that doesn't usually happen at that stage of production. I don't know the circumstances of that at all. I, I truly don't. But I'm sure if I did, I could kind of see both sides, because, you know, you never want to be in a situation where the studio gives you notes and you say, like, no, like, absolutely not, you know, or whatever. You always want it to be a conversation where they trust you and are willing to be in your corner. So, you know, that's the way it is throughout Hollywood. Filmmaking is a very expensive art. Even the low-budget films I've done, you know, uh, I say low-budget, but $60,000, which is a very low-budget movie, that was the budget of A Horrible Way to Die, you know, that could still, that's still, like, enough money to, like, you know, murder someone for in most parts of the world. So, you know, when you have to remember that, you know, people are investing a lot in you. And... You know, whether you're a writer, whether you're a director, whether you're arguing with your producers or studio executives, you never want that to be a case of, like, me versus them. And the best way to do that, uh, you know, once you're in that situation, it's quite difficult. The best way to do that is just avoid it. I, In my career, I'm very lucky, again, that I'm now in a pretty good spot, but I only work with studio executives I like and trust. I only work with directors. I like and trust pretty much just Adam <laughs> and a couple of other people, really. And, you know, and that's, that's how I've kind of carved out this little niche for myself. You know, now that Adam's making Godzilla movies, I have to expand a little bit. But that's, you know, that's a fun challenge. Could you discuss the significance of the KPG Corporation and you and uh, Mr. Wingard's collaborations? Yeah, uh, sure, sure. There is... Um, so what you're referencing for, for the listener's benefit is, for whatever reason, we started referencing basically this defense contractor uh, that I named KPG, and we did, I think the first KPG script was You're Next, 
and then KPG was a big factor in VHS2 and uh, The Guest, and then their role was slightly diminished in Blair Witch. And I, I think this was just our kind of like, not only did it kind of amuse us to have a bit of like a shared universe of these films where like, you know, the viewer can, for whatever reason, if they so choose, you know, imagine that, you know, the world of Blair Witch with, um, you know, the kids lost in the woods in Maryland, um, it, you know, is happening concurrently to Dan Stevens, you know, hunting uh, Lance Reddick in a mirror maze. You know, if that amuses them. For us, it was also like, I guess, to speak a bit more seriously, and I'll be brief because it's not as interesting, I guess both Adam and I largely feel that this kind of like military-industrial complex is a big part of kind of what's wrong with the world, not that we have like an easy you know, solution to that, but it felt like something that was like, as much as our movies all have a message, and certainly uh, your next and the guest, like, like, fairly clearly do, though it's somewhat buried in subtext, because no one really likes to be preached to, and I wouldn't condescend to our viewers that way. But that said, like, you know, we do. Both films are making statements about the military and uh, income inequality, and, and so on. And uh, you know, it's there if you're interested in it. If it's not, you can ignore it. But it felt. It felt like we kind of wanted to have our version of, like, Halliburton or Kellogg, Brown, and Root to kind of just unify that concept and just make it a little clearer. And also it just got kind of funny. We're both, like, really into conspiracy theory culture. I wouldn't say that we, you know, either one of us subscribes to too many conspiracy theories, but we're both really into, like, that idea. So that was kind of it, too, just giving people an Easter egg, you know, kind of like KPGs are like Illuminati Corporation in the films. I mean, just to kind of give people that like sense of like paranoia and um, and powerlessness that's part of, uh, you know, the kind of modern condition. Okay, you stated you were a private investigator for 10 years, and have you ever put your experiences as a PI into a, a script of yours? And, it's, and could you give an example of that? Hmm, great question. You know... I haven't really, even though that job did involve a lot of research, and I am much more knowledgeable about certain fields because of it, I'm not so certain, so certain, sorry, um, that I've ever utilized it in any of our films exactly. Uh, and like, a, you know, it's more just like I do, because I did that job for so long, I do have somewhat of an innate understanding of how things kind of work. <laughs> you know, I mean, weirdly, the most I've used that job is not in a creative writing capacity, but in a producing capacity when I needed to, like, track down the rights to certain things. <laughs> um, I was able to do that myself rather than hiring a company to do clearance. You know, I could kind of do my own clearance reports for our early no-budget stuff. Yeah, I, I have to be honest, I haven't really utilized it, but, you know, I kind of hope to. And there's a couple projects that, you know, that would be more, you know, slightly more grounded that might use that. But, you know, it, it, was, really, it was really a day job. I mean, it, it affects you in ways that are, you know, probably you're not fully conscious of. And, and so, you know, so I could probably, it's probably informed my work in a bunch of ways that I'm not even aware of, but at the same time, I can't think of anything specific. There was never any, like, 
oh, this happened on a case, and I'm going to put that in a script. I mean, no, you know, I make, I make all my scripts up. You know, it's like, you know, I, there wasn't ever an example of that. And, you know, and technology progresses so quickly that, you know, the, the kind of technology we were using when I was a private investigator is absolutely obsolete now. So, you know, see, so you, you know, kind of you can't really utilize this stuff that much. Yeah, I guess it's just like any other thing. The families and the guest and your next are dysfunctional and the couples in a horrible way to die and autoerotica are dysfunctional and the soldiers and dead birds and red sands also are too dysfunctional. And what's your attraction to that type of relationship? Um, you know, I mean, again, I don't fully maybe know myself well enough to answer that truthfully, but I, I do think that as a viewer... I'm more attracted to conflicts that have, like, reasons behind them and outcomes than what a lot of films do, which is they just have, like, kind of pointless conflict or characters are just bickering and have uh, past grievances because it just enhances the drama, which I guess is the writer or filmmaker's, you know, attempt at investing the audience more in the characters and therefore generating more suspense or I don't know what. Um, in the case of those films, you know, to me it's just slightly more interesting to see characters that are somewhat at odds, but in reasons that are interesting and engaging to the audience rather than wasting their time or delaying the plot in any way. So, and I, and I think it's realistic. I mean, I wouldn't say, I mean, yeah, for sure the family and the guest is dysfunctional, but they, you know, they've suffered, uh, you know, a loss. And, you know, the, the characters in Dead Birds are are kind of all, um, you know, uh, uh, fairly shady in terms of their morality. You know, they're, they're, they're kind of deserters and criminals. And so, you know, so it feels somewhat realistic, those circumstances, for there to be uh, that kind of strife and infighting within the group. But every script is different and every character, you know, every project's different. Um, I'm actually working on a script right now where everyone gets along really well. <laughs> and then there's an external problem. So it, it really just depends. I, you know, with those particular films... You know, I think I was trying to get at a specific type of dysfunction with each one. Obviously, with The Horrible Way to Die, you know, it's all about addiction and regret and guilt. And then with, um, you know, The Guest, it's much more about grief uh, and loss and, and, to a certain extent, survivor guilt. And, you know, those to me are like, like wildly kind of different things. Um, and hopefully those, those films feel different and the characters behave differently and stuff. But I would say overall, if there's a theme to my work, it's that, you know, other people are essentially unknowable. And I do find that very interesting. I, I like characters that have secrets. I like characters that have hidden agendas. I like films that have twists related to that. And I, I think there is kind of an innate truth to just like, you know, the fact that we can never really know what another person's reality is. And a huge amount of you know, discord in the world comes from just this, not just lack of empathy, but the difficulty of empathy. Um, how, how very difficult it is to, to truly put yourself in another person's shoes. And film is one of the mediums that, that really allows us to do that. Like, you can absolutely come out of a film with, like, a greater perspective towards something, especially, uh, obviously, documentaries can be excellent at this and quite effective at sometimes uh, enacting real change. I don't make documentaries. I, I don't have the patience. Uh, and also, I don't have the 
I lack like the vulnerability to not control, you know, to not want to control every aspect of a of a film's narrative. So, you know, so I, I try to kind of express that in different ways, and and I think you know I think that's more what's in my work than maybe just strife or dysfunction. It's that characters have agendas that they're not vocalizing, um, or histories that they're not talking about, or secrets, to put it simply. And I'm even though I'm try to be a very truthful person myself, this might actually answer your previous question, which is for a very long time, as a PI, I did a job that I didn't really talk about, that I wasn't supposed to talk about, the specifics of any of my cases, and that I really compartmentalized. And maybe that's why I like telling stories about people who kind of have these hidden lives, because <laughs> I kind of did that as a day job for such a long time. But yeah, that, that to me is more interesting than necessarily just argument or conflict, which you see in so many movies, and it can be really tedious and, and unpleasant. And it doesn't invest you in the characters more, it actually just is aggravating a lot of the time. Uh, however, if you can make it slightly more complex or grounded in the narrative, which is what I try to do with characters who have hidden plans, hidden realities, then I think it actually can be much more interesting and, and give the film uh, a layer or two that's not on the surface. Another thing I want to ask you about was the characters. You always put them in like claustrophobic situations, and it's usually a home or a deserted house. You take a place of safety and turn it into a claustrophobic ordeal, and what's your attraction to that type of story? So, yeah, so in terms of kind of the claustrophobic settings of a lot of the films I've done, the honest truth is that I work in low-budget films still. <laughs> And um, what you might be perceiving as a creative theme is, in fact, just kind of the practical realities of how, uh, of how movies are made, which is that, you know, your next, for example, we made A Horrible Way to Die, uh, Adam and I, and I was very heavily involved as a producer on that film, meaning I arranged all the locations um, and got shooting permits for all the locations and cleared all the art and stuff. And it was a nightmare. It was an 18-day shoot, and I think we had like 24 locations. And it was awful. <laughs> and so when Adam and I started talking about what we were going to do next, the, literally the only creative spark to your next is like, I, like Adam was like, I just want to make a very technical movie that takes, that takes place in like one house. Um, and The Strangers was kind of his go-to example. And I was like, perfect, I feel exactly the same. <laughs> and then that, of course, led to a, a whole new series of nightmares. Um, but we fortunately had uh, other producers on that film, uh, Keith Calder, Jess Calder, and uh, Kim Sherman. But that was the first time uh, Adam and I worked with uh, Jess and Keith, who then uh, produced The Guest and uh, Blair Witch. So, you know, so that was kind of where, like, the claustrophobia of your next came in, is we just didn't want to have to ask people to give us their locations for no money and let us shoot in their house and then have to deal with it if we spilled blood on the floor. So, no, I mean, I, I, I would like, you know, one of the projects Adam and I are talking about doing is, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's a, you know, it's a period film that takes place in, like, a wide expanse, basically. A lot of stuff would be very expensive, ex expansive and expensive, I should say, um, exteriors. But that's because we're both at points in our careers now where we can afford that. So now we're able to kind of think bigger and on a bigger scale. So, no, I mean, that really truthfully is just every film. I, I have yet to make a movie with a budget over $5 million. And when you're making movies that cost $5 million and under, they tend to have limited locations. And then it's a matter of trying again. Like I said uh, earlier in this interview, it's about 
you know, rather than striving to make a house look like something more or less than what it is, it's like, how do we utilize this? So it's like, okay, your next single location, how do I make that like work for this type of film that we're trying to do? How do I make this like more interesting than if, um, than if this action could move a little further? And your next ultimately takes place in two different houses, you know, but still it's largely contained to one house. And, you know, and so it's, it's just about kind of, um, it's like, like kind of a creative problem solving at a certain point, you know, you know, you have a certain amount of money and because I've been involved a lot in production, you know, some more uh, in physical production almost than even screenwriting, I know what locations cost and what we can do and what we can't do with the budgets we're talking about. And um, so everything I've written so far in my career, I've written for a very specific budget. With the exception of some of these new projects that Adam and I are talking about where we actually are able to get a lot more financing now, and, I, and I'm actually having to now try to try to make sure I'm not thinking creatively in a very limiting way where I'm like, oh, geez, you know, I'd like to have this, but that's so expensive. I'm like, wait, wait, we can do that now. <laughs> you know, we can afford that. So now I'm, now I'm having to find a new kind of creative way of thinking that isn't second-guessing myself um, kind of as a producer. According to Internet Movie Database, you've written a new movie called Temple, and what can you tell me about it, and when will it be released? Yeah, I honestly don't know anything about that film. So J.T. Petty, in 2008, had an idea for a movie called Temple. He had, like, a really full treatment written out, but he needed a writer who wasn't in the union. He was going to direct it as a non-union project, very low budget, and he needed a writer who wasn't in the WGA, to basically write the script for him because he couldn't write it himself because he was in the WGA. And JT's a good friend, and I said, sure. So I did it basically as a favor. I got paid, I think, a couple thousand dollars. And But the producers and I didn't really get along, and, and I kind of regretted it right away. And, you know, but, I, but JT's a friend, and then I never heard anything. I sent them a, uh, you know, I sent them a draft. They sent me a script. JT did a pass on the script. And then I didn't hear anything until... Like, several years later, I think I was actually on, set of, on the set of Blair Witch, um, and I got a call from one of the producers on that project, and he was like, hey, this project's a go. And I was kind of like, you know, I didn't call him back. I was just like, what? <laughs> like, you guys still have the rights to that? Like, like, that was JT's concept and idea and characters. I just, like, you know, kind of collaborated with him on the script. But, um, you know, and I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say anything negative about it. I, I Truthfully, it could be a great film. I have no idea. But I honestly have no idea what that script is at this point. I think it's a little weird that JT doesn't have credit on it because I didn't come up with that story or that title or anything about it. And so that's kind of, look, it's a good problem to have that I'm at a point in my career where, like, people are marketing films and and maybe getting them financed and made on the basis of my involvement. But I was not involved in that film, and I truthfully don't know anything about it. I mean, when I first started working on it, it was... You know, I think JT was going to do kind of a found footage horror thing set in like a Shinto temple in Japan, like post uh, post Fukushima. And uh, but that was very you know specific to that time, and so I don't really know what it is now. And I haven't seen uh, I haven't seen the trailer. I haven't seen it. I don't know how they made it. Yeah. So I'm kind of honestly I would have taken my name off it, but again, as I said, it was a WJ. It was not a WJ deal, so I actually can't take my name off it. So I'm just kind of like, you know, 
I wish that movie the best. I wish its financiers and everyone involved the best. I'm sure they're all lovely people, everyone who worked on that film. But that's not one of my movies. And, you know, it's just a weird point in your career when you kind of achieve a certain amount of success and suddenly old scripts. And fortunately, I think this is the only one. But, you know, old scripts that you maybe made a, a weird deal on, you know, suddenly get greenlit, you know. And, uh, yeah, that's what happened to me there. I mean, it, it happens all the time, like when, you know, it, it happens a lot with actors, I think, where, like, an actor blows up and suddenly, like, some weird movie that they made, like, you know, gets released. But in this case, it's just this old script uh, horror project that I think they were able to get financed off my involvement. Um, I know that people were going around saying that the script had my name on it and a very recent draft date, which was not accurate because I didn't work on it after, I want to say 2010 was would have been the last time I would have had any involvement in that. So, you know, it's just one of those things. You can't can't begrudge anyone you know i mean i'm sure they're i'm sure i'm sure it's fine i mean i'm sure they feel like great we finally got this movie made and more power you know to them for doing so but for me it's a little bit like well i agreed to do that because i was collaborating with my friend jt petty kind of like we talked earlier about how i don't like working on projects if i don't know the director and i don't know creatively how we're going to get along and that was very much something i only agreed to do as a favor because my friend who came up with the idea was directing it and now he's not involved, and I think he's fine with it, but I'm a little like, well, you know, that doesn't really represent me very well, because that's not really how I like to uh, present myself and my work to the world. But, you know, but again, you have to pick your battles, and, uh, you know, I again, if that movie is great, does great, I'm happy for everyone involved, but I don't consider that really uh, one of my one of my projects. Okay, and the final question, you, you've written horror movies or dark thrillers, and what's your attraction to the genre? Um, you know, truthfully, I, I'd written about 20, 22, 24 scripts um, before I wrote my first one that I was planning to make myself. I was going to shoot it myself, DP the film myself on 16mm film. That's what I actually uh, studied in school is cinematography. And I was planning on shooting it in my hometown and directing it, and it was Dead Birds. And I sent it to a friend who'd acted, actually, in one of my student films, kind of basically trying to find out if I could get him to act in this. And at the time, he was working for uh, an executive named Ash Shaw, who ran a company called Silver Nitrate, which was, among other things, making independent films that they were able to sell to Sony for a profit. And he was like, you know, this is pretty good. I, you know, we would actually make this. Um, you wouldn't be able to direct it because you're, you know, 22 and straight out of film school and have, like, only these horrible short student shorts to your, to your credit. But, but, you know, we'd pay you. Like, you know, we could make this for, like, one, $1.5 was ultimately the budget of Dead Birds. It was shot on 35-millimeter film. Actually, Steve Yedlin, who uh, shot the new Star Wars movie uh, for Ryan Johnson, was the DP on Dead Birds. So it ended up being, a, you know, and it starred Michael Shannon and Patrick Fugit and Isaiah Washington and Henry Thomas and, you know, had this, Mark Boone Jr. had this great cast and ended up being like a very professional movie that taught me a lot uh, about how real films are made, which ironically uh, you kind of can't learn any other way. So that was pretty eye-opening for me that, like, I'd written all these scripts, but the first low-budget horror script I wrote Again, which I wrote very strategically for myself to direct, ended up being a script that I actually got paid, you know, pretty well for. 
and you know got my got my kind of name out there in the world a little bit. You know, the movie premiered at Toronto in 2004. I was you know still very young, very clueless. Um, had no idea, you know, really how anything worked, but, you know, but was making my first steps. And that was also, you know, I met Adam Wingard and uh, Evan Katz on the set of that film. Because that was kind of my calling card, that was the genre I stuck in. But, you know, but like I Saw the Devil, we have a remake of I Saw the Devil in the works. That I don't see that as really a horror movie. Horrible Way to Die is not really a horror movie. It, the Guest, I don't, I don't really know what genre The Guest is, but I wouldn't say it's horror. But, you know, I do kind of tend to enjoy darker stuff. I think it's just my sense of humor. Um, I love horror movies. For whatever reason, I always have. I wouldn't want to just make horror for the rest of my career because I feel like the people who've done that tend to get burned out really quickly. But I'm also very lucky. I mean, no one would call autoerotic you know, a horror movie, even though my involvement with that film was extremely peripheral. You know, I came up with, like, the story for one of the segments. Um, that was really all uh, Joe Swanberg and Adam, um, that one. But, you know, but again, it's like, you know, I, I I like dabbling in other genres. I like doing other stuff. But I would say my personal sense of humor and world outlook, as far as I can tell, because it's hard to be objective about such things, is fairly cynical and fairly dry. And that tends to be what I'm attracted to, not just in, you know, the world that I build for myself, but also in the entertainment I consume. You know, which isn't to say I don't love, like, I don't know, Babe. Babe's a phenomenal movie, don't get me wrong. <laughs> or, the, you know, Miyazaki is a filmmaker who I love, uh, Studio Ghibli. Uh, you know, his films are amazing to me because they essentially have no conflicts whatsoever. You know, the villains in them are always just kind of essentially misguided and just need to be, like, reminded of their passions um, so they'll stop being evil. Very uh, positive outlook, but he's able to make that work. And for whatever reason, you know, whenever I sit down to write something like that, um, everyone ends up dying horribly. So, you know, maybe I'll grow out of it. Maybe, uh, maybe like George Miller, I'll make, you know, Babe. Uh, but, of course, George Miller didn't direct Babe. He directed Babe, Pig in the City, which is one of the darkest films ever made. <laughs> so, you know, maybe, again, maybe it's just my sensibility. Um, you know, I would love to make, like, a romantic comedy someday, especially because, again, like, like horror movies, you know, that's a genre that a lot of its output is pretty dire, and it's kind of... Um, underrated by, you know, maybe critics and executives who see it as more a product than art. So I would love to do a romantic comedy. But right now, I don't know if I'm capable of creating a good one. Um, I might need to make a few more dark movies and get a bit happier first. Okay, well, I just want to say thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you. My mother, I should say, uh, my mom was a librarian growing up, so I, I don't know if you actually know this about me, but I, I don't do a lot of interviews or podcasts anymore. But as soon as I got your letter, I was like, oh, well, this one I'll do. Oh, <laughs> so, well, <laughs> I, well that, I'm doubly thrilled. So, yeah, my mom, my mom was a librarian. Uh, you know, I grew up mostly with just my mom in Columbia, Missouri, and uh, she was a librarian basically almost the entire time I was in school. And so I've always said that, like, the two places I can kind of go to in any city and feel instantly at home – or a public library, or a gyms, oh. <laughs> especially a boxing gym, because oh. uh, I, I I've done a lot of that, too. So, there's, so whenever I'm in an unfamiliar city and I'm getting stressed out, rather than go to a gym, which can sometimes be stressful, I always just find the nearest public library. And, uh, you know, just instantly I kind of know what, what the, and I know the ambiance is going to feel right to me, you know. So it's right. true to this day.
I would like to thank Simon Barrett for agreeing to do the interview. Remember, the guest will be shown Saturday, October 21st, 2017 at 2 p.m. at the Downtown Public Library on 615 Church Street in the Auditorium. Today's music is from the guest by Steve Moore.